Well, good afternoon, everybody. We're glad you're here. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, it's been a wonderful week, and there's been a lot of great things that have happened, and we thank God for all of that. And uh, so we, we welcome all of you and all of you that are watching us from all over the planet. Gee, I was in Oklahoma this week and met so many people down there that faithfully watch this thing. And uh, I got a text from someone in, where were they? I think they were in Mississippi. And they said, just came to my boy's house. I had to get a fix. And he had, he was in the, his boy had this big screen television and it was our service that was on that screen. It was whatever. We were blessed, Renee and I, to reconnect with this wonderful lady this week by the name of Christine. Christine, we want you to know that uh, we love you and, uh, and are so proud of you. With, uh, she's raised two boys and done such a great job. And her first son just uh, uh, is in his first year at, at the university in Ann Arbor. And so congratulations, sweetheart. And uh, we met her years ago and she was always so kind to us. And then the restaurant that went out of business and we lost track of her. I think it was Ashley. Where you at, Ashley? She's here somewhere. You were the one that found her, didn't you? So uh, we love you and uh, pray nothing but the richest blessings of God on you. Another precious lady. Uh, her name's Gigi, but I call her Boots because uh, most of the time when I see her, she's got a pair of cowboy boots on. And uh, she is such a cheerful woman, been so kind to us. And she watches this thing. So I... Uh, I told you I would say something about you, so uh, I want to keep my word. God bless every one of you. And uh, last week, I introduced four monsters that uh, I am convinced poison relationships and, and destroy character and a lot of people's lives. And here they are once again. They are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Each, each of these four monsters are fueled by a debt-debtor relationship. This is the very difficult dynamic that these four monsters create. And um, I, I, last week I gave you the example of money. If, if you owe somebody money and have not paid them back, Whenever you're in the room with that person, there's a third person in the room with you. It is that debt that you owe. And somebody's always got the upper hand in a relationship. It isn't always the person that the money is owed to. Sometimes people won't pay you back. And they're in control. And so either way, um, someone, someone has the upper hand. There's always an imbalance. And... As I'm trying to show you in these times, there are only two ways to deal with this problem of guilt and anger and greed and jealousy. And as I'll show you, there's always a debt-debtor relationship. There's only two ways to deal with them. Either you pay the debt or you forgive the debt. That's it. As long as the debt remains unpaid or unforgiven, 
that debt is going to govern that relationship that you have. It filters everything. And so today I'm going to take a close look at, at these four enemies of our heart because as I tried to show you, in the Bible there are two hearts. You've got your natural heart and then there's that other thing that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or when you've got your heart broken because of a whatever, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or whatever. Every wrong that we ever commit with someone is in effect uh, an act of thievery. We've, we've stolen something. If I steal something from you, I owe you. And so someone that's full of guilt knows that. And it is common for someone to say, I owe her an apology. I owe him an apology. Why, why do we say we owe them? I'll tell you why. Because your heart is telling you something. And the only way to make it right is either you pay it or they forgive it. And uh, even, even if the only currency is words, um, we feel obligated to pay. Um, I, I have followed uh, with interest this, this thing about this man, Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein apparently was worth billions of dollars, had houses in Paris and New York City and uh, Miami, New Mexico, owned an island in the Caribbean, had a fleet of jets, very, very, they don't know where his money came from, but he obviously was a wealthy man. And uh, he latched on to a British socialite by the name of Ghislaine Maxwell. And she was convicted. Um, Epstein, of course, committed suicide, possibly, in jail. Uh, he's gone. Uh, now, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted and will be sentenced soon. Um, what they're worried about is Will she talk? Because there have been former presidents that were involved with this, uh, high-profile lawyers, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, even went so far as to go into uh, a palace in England. There are millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here, reparations to these women that, were obviously taken advantage of. I heard one of them, or I read where one of them said last week, all I ever wanted was an apology. All I ever wanted was for someone to admit what they had done and say, I'm sorry. And if they would have, I would have walked away. But because they were unwilling to admit or to apologize, I'm going after their money. That's an angry person. An angry woman in this case, or women in this. And I've seen people try to work it off, serve it off, pray it off. Um, no, no amount of good deeds, no amount of giving. I don't care how many Sundays in church you attend. It is a debt. It either has to be paid or it has to be canceled. Because guilt says, if you're guilty, you feel like I owe this person. 
But that's not what anger says. Anger has a debt-debtor relationship, but it's different. Guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, yes, you do. You sure do owe me. You think about that for a moment, because every time we get angry, it's almost always the result of not getting something that, uh, that we wanted, uh, something that uh, you feel that you deserved. Translation, somebody owed me. You show me an angry person and I will show you a hurt person. Someone owes them. If nothing more than an apology. I was on an airplane yesterday and the stewardess said, Mr. Hoppin, would you like a bottle of water? Yes, I would. So I pulled my mask down to drink my water and this woman beside of me, she said, put your mask back on. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to. And she lost it. And she said, I said, put your mask on. No. She called the waitress or the stewardess. She wanted me thrown off of the plane. Of which the stewardess, thank God bless her, said, I just gave that bottle to Mr. Hoffman. I'm sure when he's done, he'll put his mask back on, won't you? Maybe, you know. Yes, yes, I will. But I drank that water really slow. It drove that woman out of her mind. Finally, I got done and I put my mask back on. A little while later in the flight, she ordered a bottle of you know, wine. And I'm wondering, I want to know how you're going to get that in your mouth. <clears throat> you're going to pour it all over that mask and it's going to seep through the mask into your mouth? I don't think so. So I'm watching her and she knows I'm watching her. And she goes... She'd pull up her mask, just, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I was sitting beside an angry person who had been hurt somewhere, but she was directing that anger at me, and I had no idea why she was so angry. It wasn't the mask. She was just mad. And, and angry people, they don't reserve their anger for just one person. They're usually mad at just about everybody. And uh, have, you, have you ever had an encounter with an angry person and they blow up you and you ask, like I did yet, what in the world did I do to make you mad? What, what, what caused you to turn that, that vitriolic hatred on me? It, the answer is simple. I, you don't let them have their way. They didn't get what they felt like they deserved. And when you deal with extremely angry people, nothing you do will please them. If I would have put my mask on right then, she would have still been mad the whole flight. They have already decided you can't get it right. Even before you start, because they can't let you get it right. Because if you get it right, it takes away their excuse to be angry. And, 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 and if this isn't for you, well, then just let it go. But let me give you a test. Um, find somebody that, that you believe loves you and ask them if you have an anger problem. And then listen. Listen while they're talking to you. And um, it's called monitoring. We're talking about our heart here. 
I monitor hearts in hospitals. Let's monitor our, our inner man, our inner woman here. It's just, um, it's just uh, if people pause before they answer or don't want to answer, um, uh, that ought to tell you something. If you feel compelled to interrupt them while they're talking uh, and explain, uh, that ought to tell you something. If you find yourself wanting to run away while they're talking, that ought to tell you something. That's good. That's, that's stirring up that sludge that's in the bottom of our soul. And like the word says, it's a mirror and you see what manner of person you really are. Don't get discouraged. You've just discovered something. And uh, it can heal you if you listen because anger gains its strength from staying secret. If, if you discover you have anger in your heart, let me give you a revelation. It will not come as a surprise to the people that really know you. <laughs> you see, the only one getting duped here is the angry person. Everyone else knows they have an anger problem. They've known it for a long time. But I believe these monsters are like roaches. I believe that they hate being exposed. They hate light shining on them. And that's what we're trying to do right here, right now. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. I, 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 you, 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 there's, a, there's a group of Psalms from, I think, 120 to 134. They're called, at the beginning, they're called Psalms of Ascent. Uh, uh, what does that mean? These are Psalms that were read or quoted and sung as people went up to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem. And you get to the end and it said, how good that, 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 that uh, and pleasant are people that dwell together in unity. It's like oil, holy anointing oil that ran down the beard of Aaron and then on the garment and then on the skirts. And it said, just as sure as you can plan on dew being the top of Mount Hermon every day, you can plan on God's blessing being on that situation. And, and, and it's a powerful thing because what it's saying is it's not just my job to, 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 to pray and study and have a right heart when I'm speaking to you. It's your job. As, there's nothing more powerful uh, than, 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 than anointing and the anointing comes from unity. And so when a house is united, there is a special anointing that comes on the speaker. Just as sure as dew is on Mount Hermon, there'll be anointing on the priest if he's speaking to a unified, a unified house. And, and, and I, 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 I just... I think it's very pertinent at this time, at the beginning of the year, let's start it off just looking at our, how's your heart? How's your heart? And, and maybe you're the person that needs to talk about it. Maybe on the other hand, you're the, you're the person that talks about it all the time. Uh, after all, any, anyone who was raised the way you were or faced the hardships that you faced or or were abandoned like you were, you have every reason, no, you have every right to be the way you are. Here's my challenge to you. Do you want to stay the way you are? Or do you want to change? Amen. How long are you going to allow people that you don't even like, many of them are no longer in your life, some of them are even dead, to keep controlling your life with the anger that you have towards them. I, I, I remember a, a woman, uh, I used to say between the North Pole and South Pole, well, it was here, it was in this church. 
She's gone, but I, I, a woman who got so angry because another woman in this church came in and found a wonderful husband in this church. And the other woman was so mad and jealous. How come, how come I can't get a good man like her? It was obvious why. Because no man wanted to be around you. You were just mad. And, 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 and the jealousy the woman was feeling toward another lady was, had nothing to do uh, with that. Per- it was something in her past, that anger was there. Somebody did me wrong. And I, the Bible said in Mark chapter 10, there was a guy who said, casting away his garment, he came to Jesus. That garment was his identity. That, 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 that was his lot in life. But before he even came to Jesus, he said, I will... I refuse to continue to be the man I've always been. Uh, gee, I, I, there's a guy known as the demoniac of Gadara. He's in the Bible five, three times. Matthew 8, Mark 5, Luke 8. Interestingly enough, Matthew 8 said there were two. Two that met him in the tombs. Uh, Mark and Luke just talk about the one that was delivered. But uh, he goes to this man. He said, what's your name? Now, most Pentecostal preachers have interpreted that, that when you meet a demon-possessed person, you're supposed to get that, make that demon identify himself because that's what Jesus did. I don't believe that. I think Jesus was just talking to the guy. What's your name? But before he can tell him his name, his problem hijacks the conversation said, our name's Legion. This is our turf. We are many. We are many. <laughs> it's a wonderful, um, boy, I got to be careful. I don't start chasing rabbits right now, but there's a great scripture uh, that says, out of the womb of a woman are the issues of life. In other words, if you're going to be on the planet, you need to come through the womb of a woman. So watch what these devils, they say, Jesus of Nazareth, have, have you come to torment us before our time? There's a great, they obviously know, they're, they, the Bible said they lost their first estate and there are reserved chains for them. They know that. But what amazes me is, if you read between the lines, they know who Jesus is. He's God in flesh. God is spirit. A spirit hath not flesh and bone. No man has seen God at any time. But when they say Jesus in flesh, God, deity wrapped in dust, they know who he is. Let me read between the lines with you. They're saying, where'd you get the body? We've only known you in spirit. Where'd you get the body? And he said, oh, I'm here legal. I came through the womb of a woman. Where did you get yours? Oh, that's not yours. You're, you're, you're here illegal. Well, then we're going to expel you. And he did. He evicted that spirit from that body. Why? It didn't come through the womb of a woman. Right. It wasn't here legally. And, and, and there are so many times in pastoring I've met people and just it tries, at the beginning of the conversation, oh, I just got out of prison. Um, I, I, I've just come through a divorce. Or I just declared bankruptcy. I'm not minimizing their past. But aren't you tired of allowing your past to be your present identity? Yes. 
Your name is not divorce. Your name is not bankruptcy. Your name is not felon. What's your name? Jesus is trying to establish a real relationship with you and I. But so many times our problems hijack the conversation. And we just let it happen. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. Don't just... Don't just lay down and let him kick you to death. (laughs) It's just your story might explain your behavior, but it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse it. Your story was never meant to be your excuse. It was meant to be your testimony. God is trying to use you as a billboard and a marquee to say to the rest of the world, I'm not saying what you didn't go through was bad, but I went through the same thing and I beat it. And if I beat it, you can beat it. You don't have to be a hostage or a victim all your life. I, I, I basically put people in three categories. Number one, there's the victim. You know, always feeling like, you know, whatever. When my ship comes in and it, when it comes in, it's gonna be a leaky canoe. You know, it's just, I just, always a victim. And then there's the other people who overanalyze. They, they go to every seminar, they read every book, and they never do feel ready. And then there's the third category of people who know that they're probably not prepared, but they just begin and learn as they go. It's just, for goodness sakes, quit being a victim and quit overanalyzing the thing. Let's go. Let's serve God. Let's just jump in this thing up to our neck and say, I, I, no, I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know all the verses. I don't, know, I don't know a lot about prayer. I don't know a lot of stained glass stuff. I don't even really know what an apostolic is, but I, I, would, like, I would like to live a different way of life. As you say, a higher way of living. If there wasn't a heaven, if there wasn't a hell, this is a better way to live. It's a better way to live. I have a great friend right now who just had a heart transplant, a heart, not a heart transplant. And they asked him all of these very personal questions about, you know, his, 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 his past. You know, have you ever been addicted to alcohol? Uh, what about drugs? What about nicotine? What, what about your, your personal, your, 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 your intimate life? You know, how many partners have you had? And, 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 and he just said, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been married to my wife and they, they almost smirked when he said it, but it was cute because when they came in a little while later and he asked them, how'd that do on the test? And one of them said, you have zero negatives. And he said, what does that mean? They said, you're one of the only patients we've ever had that didn't lie to us. We had the slides, we had the biopsies, we had the tissue samples. We knew if you had a drug past, we knew if you had STDs, we, we, we knew all that, but you were honest with us. And we're going to get you a heart. And they did last week. And he'll go home this week. He'll go home this week. <laughs> and he called me. He called me right before he went into surgery. And he said, you've been my close friend. And he said, I, I wanted you to be the last person I talked to besides my wife before I, the anesthesiologist puts me under. But he said, I want you to remember what I'm saying, Harold. If I come out of this or not. He said, serving God is really paying off right now. Not just the spiritual aspect, just living a clean life made him a candidate for a new heart that would have gone off limits to him if he wouldn't have disciplined the way he was. 
you know, you can't have a testimony without passing the test. And, and I promise you that, that the people that you respect the most did not come from a perfect past. I, I promise you the people that you look up to and revere the most have an unsolid yesterday in their lives. And, and you may ask, how can someone that grew up in that kind of environment grow up so perfect? That's what happens when God does surgery on your heart. So, you know, angry people say, you owe me. You owe me. You know, guilty people. The third beast, that's greed. And uh, because guilt says, you know, I owe you. Anger says, yes, you do. But greed says, I owe me. (coughs) The bottom line is that greedy people believe they deserve every good thing that comes into their life. <laughs> they not only believe that, they, they believe they deserve every good thing that could possibly come into their life. In other words, what's mine is mine and I earned it and I got a lot more coming. And that's why it's hard to get greedy people to part with money or anything for that matter because it's theirs. And the truth is, they're just scared. They, they, they always have a story to tell. I remember being in the, in the home of a very, very well-known preacher and his wife. She was gone, but he was giving me a tour of what I believe was their, it was either their fourth or their fifth brand new house in the last six or seven years. Didn't matter what he built for her. She always wanted something else. It was a beautiful house. And we went to the end of what I thought would be the master bedroom, but it wasn't. It was a very large room with elaborate, expensive shelving and glass doors. And it was baby dolls. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baby dolls. And I mentioned a guy to you recently that I met in, named Frenchie Boudier. Frenchie taught me about Dolls. I never knew what a jumeau was until I met Frenzy. But a jumeau is a, is a, is a bisque face. It's a porcelain-faced doll. They're, they're, they're worth kajillions of money. And I hadn't knew enough about dolls to see things in that room. And I knew these weren't just something that you bought at Walmart. It, it was full of all kinds of very, many of them, very, very, very expensive. And... He quickly told me, well, she was, she was raised so poor, she, she never could have a baby doll when she was a little girl. <clears throat> and that's why she's got 900 of them now. <clears throat> Truth is, she was greedy. And everybody around her knew it. She died recently. Um, I, I was raised in a small coal mine town in uh, country folk commonly referred to as hillbillies. If you're a hillbilly, you, we, we're proud of that, that we, we like that nickname. Hardworking people, they don't have much, but invariably, in just about every little shack or house that was around me, that family usually had one item. One, there was usually one thing in that house that they really valued, 
and displayed. And most of the time it was something from their past. This woman had a knack for going into those very modest homes of what many times were what we would call poor people. And she would find that one valuable item in that house and she would not stop. Like a pit bull with a ham bone, she just wouldn't, oh boy, would I like to have that. And being the pastor's wife, most of them relented and gave her what she wanted. I was in that house when she was gone. There was stuff stacked everywhere. Stuff that people treasured. She wanted it. She got it. And she threw it. I remember being in a house one time. And back in the corner was a Cabbage Patch doll. I don't know if you are old enough to remember the Cabbage Patch doll craze that hit America. It was nuts. This is way before eBay. Buddy, they were going crazy trying to find a Cabbage Patch doll. And I was in this house and there was one there just discarded in that room. (laughs) I remember the story of how that they did everything they could to please that greedy little kid they had. Greed is different than guilt and anger and I'll tell you why. Because it's so good at masquerading. It's so good at disguising itself. Almost everyone in this room, I want to prove it to you how good greed is at masquerading itself. Almost without exception, everyone that's in this room right now and you that are watching online, you have already said, well, at least that's one thing I don't have to worry about. I wonder what monster number four is. Because in your mind, most of you are already wondering. You've already skipped ahead. Not, not so fast. I, I mean, we all get upset every now and then. Uh, but now that I think about it, I have been in full-time ministry for 45 years. I have had pretty much everything confessed to me that you can imagine. Um, you name it. Um, I've pretty much every horrible, terrible, titillating, juicy bit of gossip you could ever imagine. I've heard it, except one thing. In 45 years of full-time ministry, I have never, ever had anyone tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with greed. I've never had anybody confess to me they're greedy. Now, their wife may tell me they're greedy. Or they, it hides. Greedy people mask themselves because they're good savers. And after all, saving's a good thing. Uh, they're, they're, good, they're good at planning. Now, that's a good thing. Go, I mean, doesn't that Bible say go to the ant sluggard? Uh, uh, um. We, we, we hide greed from ourselves and just like anger, the people around us know, they know we're greedy. I'll give you a few of the signs to identify greedy people. Greedy people constantly talk about money. They are not cheerful givers. They'll give, but they're gonna make sure you know they gave. Um, they're reluctant to share. They are 
Horrible losers. I, I heard Oprah Winfrey interview Michael Jordan one time, and she said, uh, uh, we've got a friend of yours here, and all of a sudden, Charles Barkley comes. And Oprah being Oprah, she said, now, Charles, you've made it very plain to people that you think Michael Jordan is the cheapest man you've ever met in your life. And he said, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods are the two cheapest men alive on the planet right now. And uh, she said, why do you say it? He said, they never tip, never. So she looked at Michael Jordan and said, is that true? You never tip? He said, no. He said, I don't ever tip, ever. I'll tell you why that is. Michael Jordan hates to lose. It's not about just being great at basketball. They're constantly disputing with people over small amounts of money. They'll tell you, I've just got enough to get by. I'm dealing with a situation right now somewhere between a North Pole and a South Pole. And this individual is just making an absolute fool of themselves trying to convince people that they've been taken advantage of and they've been stolen from and they don't have anything and they're just barely scraping by and I know the other side of the story. They're very secretive. They don't want anybody knowing their business. We had a man come to this church several years ago. He, he owned, I believe at that time he had 600 rental properties. He was quite wealthy. He ended up having to move. I was sorry to see him go, but sent him away with blessing. He came to me one time and he said, have you noticed anything different, Pastor? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know. Has anything seemed just odd in your life the last little while? I said, "I, I don't think so. He said, you know, I've never really told you who my family is. And he explained to me that his sister was one of the wealthiest women in the Midwest. And he said, my sister is vehemently angry at me because I'm coming to this church. So she hired the best private investigators in Chicago. And they've been following you for the last three months. Pastor, they, they, they have your W-2s. They... they They hacked your email accounts. They have interviewed your neighbors in Atlanta. They've interviewed your neighbors here. They have followed you 24 hours a day for the last three months. When I went to my sister's office, she had a file on you about that high. They told her, he's clean. She said, everybody's got a secret somewhere. And they said, not this guy. We have sifted through his life. Ask Valerie. She's got all my passwords. When Sister Hill was the financial secretary, she balanced my checking account. I don't have secrets. I heard, I told you, I I read something that Mark Twain wrote a while ago, of course. He said, if you tell the truth, you don't ever have to remember. (laughs) Because you know. I asked Sean Cabot, a wonderful attorney who used to go to this church. Now he's a great pastor. I I wish I could tell you. I'm not allowed to. But I wish I could tell you how the church in Port Huron has flourished since Sean and Laura have become their pastors. 
It's no reflection on Dwayne or Carla or anybody else who's perceived him. It's just, he, he, it's, he's just, I'm so proud of him and what's happened. I asked him, I said, Sean, how in the world can you get somebody on the stand and ask them what they did 20 years ago? And he said, oh, you're going to love this, Brother Hoffman. He said, that's how we catch the liars. He said, if you lie all the time, you have no idea what you said 20 years ago. But he said, if you're in the habit of constantly telling the truth, you know exactly what you said 20 years ago because it's the very same thing you would say today or yesterday or tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You just tell the truth. So you don't have to go, I don't know what I, you know what you said. It's just the beauty of being honest. (laughs) It's just, listen, ladies and gentlemen, greed is not a money problem. It's a hard problem. It's a hard problem because money is never going to fix this monster. It comes from the heart, you know? (laughs) I'll tell you what it really comes down to. It's just, I'm I'm terrified. I I don't think God, I don't think God can take care of me. I, I remember being in a music store years ago. I wanted to get a copy of this song. At this moment, it was called. <clears throat> so the guy behind the counter, I said, I, I want to buy this song. I, I think Billy Joel sang this song <clears throat> at this moment. And he said, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Billy Joel guy. He said, Billy Joel didn't write that song. He said, sing it for me. And I said, no, no, man, I'm not going to. He said, buddy, you can't believe the lousy voices I've had in this place. He said, there are people that really think they can sing and they can. He said, at least you're willing to admit you can't. But he said, give it a whirl. I'll figure it out. So dummy me, I start singing at this moment. All of a sudden in the back of the store, this guy said, it's Billy Vera and the Beaters. And the guy said, he's right. And I said, who in the world's Billy Vera and the Beaters? He said, he's what we call a one hit wonder. That's the only hit he ever had. At this moment, I remember, I don't know if it's a one hit wonder or not. I remember a song, probably, I don't know, when the crunch was here, a guy named John Rich sang a song, they're shutting Detroit down. Ford's disappearing, Chrysler's gone, General Motors is, they're all belly up, they're all going bankrupt. The fear that grabbed this town. Boy, do I wish I would have bought Ford stock when it was 24 cents a share. Wow, guess what? It's still standing. We're still making cars, still selling trucks. They didn't tear Detroit down. But that fear that grabbed this is the same thing that gets a hold of greedy people. I, 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 the whole thing's gonna go down the toilet. I gotta hang on to everything I can. Good luck. Because the Bible talks about a man whose barn was full He was going to tear it down and build a bigger barn because he was convinced that because he had a lot of stuff, he had a lot of time. And that night, with his fresh set of blueprints under his arm, the Lord said, thou fool, this night your your soul's required of you. You don't have a lot of time. The Bible says, don't think that your life consists in the abundance of things which you possess. Here's another translation. Take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. 
I've met greedy wealthy people and I've met greedy poor people. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Because they think if I got a lot of stuff, boy, I got a lot of life. My stuff is not my life. My life does not consist of the things I possess. Gee whiz, mess with their stuff, boy. And they feel threatened. Why? Their stuff is who they are. And uh, I remember being confronted with greed at, at an early age. I remember getting married to Renee. I was an only child, see? I, I, don't, I don't want nobody, nobody messing with my toys. They broke my stuff. I always kept my stuff. I kept the boxes. Man, if I had some of that stuff, do you know what a Johnny 7 gun is? Man, I had a Johnny 7 gun. I looked it on eBay. It's 1,200 bucks for a Johnny 7 gun. I still had the box. I can go on and on. I get married. I'm upset at Renee because she's going to see her sister or going to do this for the family, going to do that. And I was like, you don't, what, what are you, and I'll never forget the day my wife confronted me and said, I was not an only child, Harold. I had brothers and sisters. I'm sorry you didn't, but I did. And I love my brothers and sisters and I'm going to go see them whenever I want to, whether you like it or not. And she still does. She's going next week. I needed that confrontation. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what she was doing, but you're mine. Mm -mm. Not Renee. Not Renee. I remember one of the most selfless acts of forgiveness I ever encountered. I was speaking at a men's conference. There were thousands of men there. Thousands of them. And I was the guy, you know. And I knew it. It was, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that with confidence. I just knew I had the message for that night. And halfway through my message, the thing exploded. I mean, just, and I never did get it back. People just, it was just this upheaval, this avalanche of glory. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to do something. So they had a big American flag on that platform. I went over and I grabbed that American flag and I ripped it out of that stand and I started running back and forth across that platform. And when I did, men started taking off their suit coats and their ties and handkerchiefs and waving. It was a wave of offering in that. It was, it was glory, man, is what it was. And I don't know which lap it was, but there was a wonderful musician there by the name of Sonny Shambo. And Sonny Shambo was a very gifted singer and he had a, a Martin guitar. I believe they called it a D2. It was probably 70 years old. It was in excellent shape. He was so proud of it. I was running back and forth across that place. Somehow that big old flag I had wrapped around that guitar. And when I whipped that guitar like a slingshot, I saw that beautiful guitar, priceless guitar go, All the Holy Ghost was gone. I was absolutely mortified. I ran to that guitar, and of course, Sonny was right behind me. 
I looked at him so pitifully. He said, this is the greatest service I've ever been in in my life, Brother Hoffman. He said, don't worry about the guitar. If it's got a mark, I'll always look at that mark and remember this night because this is the greatest display of the glory of God I've ever been exposed to. (laughs) And in a moment, he just canceled the debt. And thank God that the guitar still was intact and still played, but it was scratched. And uh, I, I, I just, we're, greedy people are afraid God won't take care of them or God won't take care of them in the fashion they deserve to be taken care of. <laughs> we are dealing with an entitled world right now. I deserve this. Greed is supported with an endless list of what ifs. What if the economy collapses? Listen to me. Anger says, you owe me. Guilt says, I owe you. But greed says, I owe me. But jealousy says, God owes me. The list is endless. The things that other people have that you don't. Good looks, skill set, opportunities, the family they have. I always wanted to be six feet tall. I tell people I squatted to rise and I got cooked in the squat. They got the inheritance. I can go on and on. We think our problem is with that person. Our problem's with God. That when he gave your neighbor stuff that he could have given to you, but he didn't. You, you, you don't want their car. You want one like it. You, you, you find yourself staring at something, think, boy, they really look good. That, that's disgusting to me. You, 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 you may even tell them they look good, but inside you know, man, I hate you wearing that dress like that. If I just had what they had, if God only would have made you smarter, you would have... I, they told me for years I was a smart kid. I remember when Brittany was young. She was a Gerber baby. She, she just was. She, she looked like the, that baby on the outside of a Gerber jar. She had the ringlets. She had the eyes. She had that hair and that face and that skin. And she just, she was a very pretty baby. And all the time we would bring her to church, these people would say to her, you are beautiful. You're beautiful. And about four, right down there one night, I saw someone say, you're beautiful. And she said, I know. I know, I know. They never ever said you're mannerly. They never ever said you're respectful. They never ever said anything about character qualities. She was more valuable because she was pretty. They told me for years I was smart. And after a while, yeah, I know, I'm smart. I was smarter than everybody else in McKinleyville grade school. Then I went to Bethany. I was smarter than all the rest of them. They put me in accelerated classes. Boy, that was just exactly what I needed, man. I was able to go at my own speed through the book. And so I went through the math book in two months and they gave me ninth grade math and 10th grade math. And I was really something. And then I went to a high school where it had accelerated classes and they put me in them and I was in trouble because I knew I was out of my league 
and I was in class with really smart people that never studied. They just retained it. I had a friend named Pete, never studied, got a full ride to Harvard Law School. It was worth 250,000 bucks back then. I don't know what it's worth today, but then it was 250,000. Pete lasted three weeks, came back, got a job in the steel mill. I had a friend named Mark Schwartfager who had God just reached down and gave him a lightning bolt for an arm. Uh, to this day, he's the only pitcher in high school foot or baseball in West Virginia that ever threw a no-hitter. He threw two of them in a row. He went straight to the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were going to take him right out of the farm team into what was called the show. They were going to put him in the big leagues. He lasted two months and came back because he, they could not break out of this bubble of their family to where everybody said, you're, you're the better pitcher than anybody else. Pete, you're smarter than everybody else. That when they got out of that comfort zone and realized that there's always somebody going to be skinnier, there's always somebody that's going to be smarter, there's always going to be somebody with more money than you, there's always going to be somebody more handsome or more attractive. That's just life. And if you're not careful, you're going to get this thing inside of you. What's going on here, God? How come you made me look like a fire plug? How come I don't have hair like that? What's the deal here? How come my dad didn't have a bunch of money? I still remember my daddy crying, Harold, I'm sorry. I, 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 I will not leave you in inheritance. And I said, Daddy, you left me a heritage of prayer. I'll take the heritage over, over the inheritance. But all of a sudden, my daddy dies and, 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 and AARP, the Association of Retired People, called me and said, we heard that your father passed away. Yes, he did. Do you know that your daddy had a life insurance policy with us? No, I didn't. Well, we're going to send you some money. And they sent us some money. And then headquarters for the UPC. My dad was a retired minister for the last, I think, 15 to 16 years. He didn't pay budget fees. They called me and said, do you understand that your father gets $10,000 as a budget fee? And I, and I, 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 or an interest or, or insurance policy. And I said, wait a minute, he didn't pay budget fees for the last 15 years. It doesn't matter. He already, it's already paid up. We'll send you 10,000 bucks. Bam, I get $10,000. I, I, I go to Calcutta to the funeral people and, and, and they're telling me, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be close to 20,000 bucks. And then they said, um, was your dad in the military? I said, oh, yes, he was. And they said, would you, would you like to have him buried at Great Lakes? And that's what I always wanted. After Brother Sexton got buried there, it's like, wow. That's, and my dad saw that and said, that's where I want to be buried. And, 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 and then the guy just broke my heart. He said, do you have his discharge papers? And I said, what? what? Do you have his discharge papers? I said, are you kidding my dad had my my dad had Alzheimer's or sometimes whatever. It's just it's just I I I'll, I've been through most of his papers. No, I don't have his discharge papers. Well, we could probably get him there, but you're going to have to go to Chicago and you're going to have to go to the military records and maybe just maybe they can find his discharge papers. If not, you're going to have to wait six to eight months before you can bury your dad. And I'm thinking, oh, Harry would love that being in an icebox for eight months. You know, I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And, and, and so I made the arrangements and picked out a casket and I go home and my mother, that, I mean, I go home and my mother's got this, this yellow bit of tissue paper. And she said, Harold, I just found this in a drawer. What is this? And I looked at, it, I said, that's 11,000 bucks. That's what that is. And I ran right back to the funeral home and the guy just grinned and he said, you just won the lotto, Harold. 
And it was all this money, over $10,000. All, all of a sudden, the place that he worked that went belly up years ago called me and said, no, 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 your dad worked for 30 years here. That money was put in a trust account. He gets, he gets life insurance and he sent it. And my daddy would get such a big kick out of knowing he wasn't as broke when he died as he thought he was. And I remember when we ran out of money building this church and my dad gave us money from what was called a Janus account. Janus went on to have 28% return year after year after year. My dad could have been worth cabillions, but he gave us 40,000 bucks. That was all the money in the world that he had. And he gave it to us so that we could finish. And never once did my dad ever say, give me my money back. Not once. And whenever I tried to say, Daddy, I still owe you, he said, you don't owe me nothing. This church has been good to me. How great. He said, do you realize how many years we went to a difficult place and I always wanted to go to a good church with good people? He said, boy, you got a church full of great people. And he said, I've been so blessed with your mother to be here. And, I, and, and as a pastor, I'm telling you, I'm grateful for this church because you gave me the ability to be able to take care of my mom and my dad. But I think one of the reasons this church was blessed was because of the way my dad and mom have lived. Why? Because they weren't greedy. <laughs> it's just... I need to stop, but until we, we, we find a way to deal with this monster called jealousy, we're, we're going to find it impossible to obey that verse. Love one another. And that's why we're doing this at the beginning of the year. Because let me tell you about the surgeon of the ages. Amen. He's got the ability. He said, I will take out of you a heart of stone and I'll put in you a heart of flesh. The Bible said he can circumcise the heart. Circumcision is when you trim skin off so that an issue becomes very sensitive. This God that we serve can take away the callous and the bruise that life has imposed upon you and give you a, to where you have a sensitive spirit. God can repair the bruised reed. God can coax the coal back into flame. He said, give me an ear or a piece of a tail and I'll put the, I'll put the sheep back together again. All the king's horses and all the kings of men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together, but Jesus can put Humpty Dumpty back together again because he said, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Stand and thank him right now with me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Why are you doing this, Pastor? Because this is the perfect time. This is the perfect time at this juncture, at this beginning of this year. You know, you feel guilty. You feel like you owe somebody. Well, for goodness sakes. Deal with it. Deal with it. Are you angry because someone owes you? How about, why don't you just forgive it and let it go? I, I, years ago as a pastor, I learned, we don't loan money in this church. We give money when we can. Because I learned a hard lesson years ago pastoring that when we loaned money to people, every time they were in the room with me, they felt guilty and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to give your money back. It's not, it wasn't my money. It was the church. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. But so now, say, here. And if you can pay it back, fine. If you can't, fine. It's amazing how many people have paid it back. <laughs> Are you greedy? 
Hey, Granny. <laughs> My amazing mother, who now has this small nest egg of life insurance money, told me a week ago, how much do, should I give for the new building, Harold? <laughs> it's just the way we are. I am going through my house and every box that I've had for years and in my mind. I've collected books for years and I've got some really great books and all I can do right now is look at them books and say, I wonder how much money I can get out of that book for the offering. Or I got this gun that someone gave me. I wonder how much I can sell that for to give to the offering. And I'm doing this in my mind. Come with me around the altar. You precious people that are watching us, I'd like you to pray with us if you would, where you are. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I was speaking in Oklahoma yesterday. I think it was yesterday. No, it was Friday. I think it was Friday. Yeah, it was Friday. <laughs> and I, I was speaking to a group of ministers and I said, I'm 64 years old. <clears throat> We're going into a building program. And I said, I need to go into a building program like I need polio. I should be feathering my retirement nest. But I was raised by Harry and Esther and that's just not the way I am going to live. Precious gentleman came up at the end of service. He said, how old did you say you are, Brother Hoppe? I said, 64. He said, I'm 84. He said, we're breaking ground in May. <laughs> he said, old dogs can learn new tricks, Brother Hoppe. He said, let you and me be Caleb's. <clears throat> let's... let's just say, give me that mountain. My, my, don't get stuck where you are. We're going to pray and then these people are going to sing a great song. I want the whole church to be the choir when they sing. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know, I know there's a man that you have called me to be that as of yet, I have never become. I'm not who I used to be and I'm a long way down the road from that kid that you started working on many years ago. But I know in my heart that I am not all that you called me to be. And so leading this prayer right now over these people, I'm convinced there's a whole bunch of others that feel the same way I do. Grateful for what you've done in our lives, but knowing knowing honestly in our heart of hearts that I can go higher, that I, I, I can grow to another level, that I do not want to be handicapped nor hijacked and I do not want my life burglarized by my circumstance and my past that just lynches and links and just holds me down to where I am. Your word says that there are lay aside every weight and sin which easily beset us. And there are some things that aren't necessarily sin, but they're, they're weights and they're holding us down and they're impeding our progress from becoming the man and the woman that you called us to be. So corporately around this altar, Lord, I'm praying on behalf of this church right now, preacher, people, shepherd, sheep, 
We are confessing to you right now that I want this to be the greatest year of personal growth that I've ever known. Whether, whether it's, it's prayer that needs to be strengthened, whether it's Bible that needs to be memorized, whether it's weight that needs to be laid aside, whatever in my physical or my spiritual walk, I want, I want to be the man and the woman that you called me to be. Hear my prayer right now. And some of these things have hit me hard, Lord, because like the mirror that your word is intended to be, I see myself. And there are areas and issues in my life that I need to evict and I need to extract from my spirit. I do not want to be an angry man. I do not want to be full of guilt. I do not want to be jealous. I do not want to be greedy. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, let this be a church. Mother Michael talked about it, and I've always prayed it. Oh, Jesus, we want the footprint of this church to be worldwide. We're going to build another building, but in all of that, we're not going to give less to missions while we're building the building, Lord. I'm believing that you will bless what we do because our heart is in the kingdom. I'm asking you, God, to guide us and direct us and order our steps like your word said that you would. I pray for every marriage that's in this house right now. We made a vow for better or for worse. Some might be better, some may be worse right now, but we made a vow for better or worse until death do we part. I want that same vow to be in this church towards you. But I, I, I understand that death will not separate me from you, but in fact, will join me to you in a way that I never could ever wrap my mind around. Holy God, anoint, guide, guard, direct this house and enable us, Lord, to be the hospital for the sick you intended us to be, to be a place of repair, a place of mending, a place where people's lives can be put back together again, where the bruised reed can be splinted and be used again. You're not going to stomp out the coal that's still smoldering in our spirit, but you're going to gently blow on it and coax it back to flame. So every marriage, every family, every relationship, every attitude, sift through our spirit, Lord, because we want our heart to be right. Because we understand that the words of our mouth originate in the meditations of our heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I want to ascend to the hill of the Lord, but I'm never going to do it without clean hands and a pure heart. I'm asking you, God. I'm asking you, forgive me. Forgive me for being greedy. Forgive me for being jealous. Forgive me for being angry. And I believe you have forgiven me and I accept your forgiveness to deal with my guilt in the name of Jesus Amen I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all
So from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's. I wonder if we can lift up our hands and sing this. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all. 